for now, we got more important things to talk about. As much as I'm a Niners fan, Jesus is more important. That's okay. Some of us are still in the season, so. Oh, this is good. This is good. Um, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys this morning. I was uh, awoken this morning real early, um, 5.30-ish this morning. It's early for Sunday for me. Uh, I believe by the Lord. <laughs> he he uh, wanted me to spend some extended time in worship and prayer for this morning's message. Um, I didn't want to get up, but he kind of just called me up and said, hey, it's time to get up, pray. And uh, I, I remembered one of my favorite quotes from, Dr. Er, from Martin Luther, who said, um, I pray for an hour in the morning, and when it's really busy, I pray for two. Um, and I felt like that's what kind of woke me this morning, was spending some extended time in prayer. Um, I missed you guys. I feel like a week sometimes is too long in between meeting together. I wish we could spend some time together more often than that. Last night, uh, I just wanted to give you guys a little update about a, a leadership meeting we had, the board and uh, the pastor search committee team. Dan Acker came up from Arizona and spent some time with us, and uh, we ate, ate together and discussed sort of where we are at in this whole transitioning period and figuring out what the long-term future um, of, of Northgate is going to look like, and I can say I'm highly encouraged. I'm really encouraged about where we are at right now and, and uh, the whole process that we are going through, really sitting in the identity of who we are, finding out and, and more being able to express who we are in words. This is Northgate. This is what we stand for. These are some of the things that, that we like to see happen here and some of the things we engage in. Um, you guys will see our core values kind of posted up in the hallway. Uh, that is who we are, and, and we want to walk in it. We want to walk in uh, the unique calling that we have as a local church here at Northgate, um, which is real fitting for this whole series in Ephesians, uh, because I believe that Paul's message to the Ephesians has half to do with who we are and half to do with how we become who we are. And today's message if you want to join me, is in Ephesians chapter 4, and we are going to be talking about becoming who we are. Um, it was pretty fun. After our meeting, we got to sit with Dan and the Stockton Church from Carson Oaks. Uh, Paul, Paul and his team came down and joined us at the brewery um, just to fellowship together and, and share story and uh, talk about life, and it was good to just sit and eat with them and, and uh, share in a beverage. So, um, the brewery's been fun to watch as, as the community has kind of gathered around it, and they've been showing huge support over there, which has been a, a cool, um, integral part to who we are at Northgate as well, and joining with uh, the ministry that's happening over there. So, um, cool things, fun things, exciting things. Uh, but let's go ahead and let's get to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says this, and I'm going to read from the, the ESV today because they use a couple words in here that I want to emphasize that, I really kind of hammer, that really kind of hammers in uh, the direction of this book. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul says this, As a prisoner of the Lord, as Paul worships, and we kind of get this picture of him worshiping and writing this letter in prison, he says, I encourage you to walk 
worthy of the calling that you've received, that you've been called to. Paul has us on this journey through the book of Ephesians where we're learning to live into what God wants us to be. Calls us into the fullness of God, a life in the fullness of God. And we've seen throughout the first three chapters, Paul's writing the first three chapters, he's inviting us into an encounter with Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's an interactive thing, a way that we can walk in the fullness and in the power of Christ. When we uh, learn what our identity is in Christ, we have an encounter with Christ, then we learn how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And here's the call uh, to this church. And, and we've kind of gotten a picture for Ephesus. We've gone through the background of it. We've seen this, this church. This letter is meant for this church where it is um, in conflict. There's a lot going around in the city, a high sports mentality, right? A, a high competitive nature. Um, there's uh, a huge scene of, of child trafficking that's going through this city, and you can kind of hear the noises that are going on outside of Paul's prison cell. And he's writing this letter to the Ephesus, to these young believers and followers in Jesus who are meeting together in these house churches. And this early way of meeting this house, these house churches and these believers in Jesus, some of them Jews, some of them Gentiles, they came up with a way to describe themselves, and they called themselves the way. The way of Jesus. The way um, was the name for the early church. This is the way, right? They call themselves the way because they found a way in Jesus that was countercultural to the world around them where the world was telling them, hey, it's all about fame, it's all about success, it's all about the achievements that you place, it's all about getting to the highest of the highest in your position, it's about winning the battles, it's about um, becoming the most wealthy, it's about trafficking the most kids, it's about becoming the most successful and all those things that you do. There's this countercultural way of Jesus that says, it's not necessarily about the things that you do, it's about who you're attached to. It's more about your identity in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us in his reconciliation of us through the cross to God. That the way of Jesus is saying that you, your identity, your primary identity in who you are is a child of God. That you are a son or a daughter of the living king and you receive the inheritance of God the Father because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Now walk in the way of Jesus. I was 16, year, 16 years old when I had this life-altering moment in my life. I remember we were going through this book. We're going through Ephesians, and uh, the it's it was like taking in these these last six weeks of Ephesians all in one weekend. And I remember the the I got this T-shirt right, it said "Alive in Christ" down the the arm, and it was um, I believe a Saturday night. So we leave, we leave on Sunday, and the message um, that evening we were getting into this this chapter, chapter four, right where the identity has been pitch to us. We know who we are. Jesus has already done the work. And the encouragement that my youth pastor gave me was, go spend some time 
alone with Jesus. What I want you to do is sit. I want us to sit in the presence of God. When we sit, this is where we're going to experience the power. And when I was 16 years old, I remember sitting outside on a bench. It was up in Sonora, in one of the camps up there in Sonora. And I remember looking up into the night sky, seeing stars upon stars when he called to me. Said, I know you. I know you by name. Even before the stars were born, I knew you. I know the, hair, the hairs on your head. I know you, Jason. You are my son. And he called to me. And my life was changed forever. And my life has been changed forever because of Jesus. And that's my testimony, that because of this encounter with Jesus, because of an encounter where God himself spoke to me and said, you are my son, you are my beloved, I knew my life could not be the same. When we encounter Jesus, our lives change forever. Encountering Jesus is not a one-time thing either. From this point, this place of sitting and hearing and listening, God spoke to me, said, hey, this, this is who you are. You are a son of the living God, and he's speaking the same thing over each one of you. You are a son of the living God. You're a daughter of the living God. In Acts chapter 16, the Bible says that Paul preached the word of God to a woman named Lydia. She heard the word, but the next verse says this, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message God opened her heart to receive the word. I grew up in the church. I was a little, you know, a little guy. My parents are believers. My grandpa was a pastor. My brother's a pastor. I was surrounded by the word of God. I heard it from a child, from when I was, you know, a little guy. And I remember I, I prayed the prayer when I was five years old with my mom in a little pew in the back of the church and said, I believe in Jesus. I believe I received salvation at that point. I do. But I lived my life, you know, sort of without any encounters with God. I just kind of followed the steps, went through the motions, went to church because my parents were going to church. I got baptized when I was 10 because my brother was getting baptized at the same time. And I said, yeah, I believe that. I did. I did believe it. From a very young age, I believed it. And it wasn't until I was 16 that I had this knock-me-on-my-butt kind of interaction with God, an encounter with God that changed me forever. Because I believe what I started doing when I was five years old was I I tried to start walking with God right away. I wanted to do more. I wanted to 
to do all the things I was supposed to do, obey my Ten Commandments, be nice to my mom and my dad. I didn't steal. I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't, you know, I didn't cheat on my tests. I, I, I tried to be a good kid. I tried to do more. I helped out at church. I went to youth group. I did all the things. But it wasn't until I sat in the presence of God. It wasn't until I sat before the holy God and said, God, I'm not trying to do anything right now. I'm just sitting before you. Would you speak to me? And he did. I believe that what Paul is trying to say to us throughout this this, uh, section is that he wants us to sit Come to the table. That first chapter of Ephesians says, we have a seat at the table. So in in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, it says over and over again, I pray that, that you would get inside of you that what God is giving to you, that revelation that you'd be here and your heart would be flooded with that spirit, that you would be awakened to the spirit within you, that you would come alive, that you would encounter the person of Jesus in such a way that you can actually receive the word. Lydia had heard the word for years, but it wasn't until God opened her soul to receive the word that she actually heard it. My prayers this morning was that our souls would be open to hear the word of God, that when we come into this room to listen, to hear the apostles' teachings, that our hearts would be open and our ears would be open to hear the word of God. I've been reading through this, this book. I highly recommend it. It's Watchman Nee's Sit, Walk, Stand. Okay. Watchman Nee uh, was a, a Chinese pastor, in this, and he writes about the process of Christian maturity. This is how he kind of describes uh, the first half of Ephesians versus the second half of Ephesians. In the first half of Ephesians, we have God's great reality of redemption. And then in, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he's, he calls it the zeal. God's zeal acted out. And in, verses, or in chapters 1 through 3, we have our identity in Christ. And then in chapters 4 through 6, it's how to live out our calling. Paul talks about the redemption, and then he talks about the zeal of how to live out the reality of redemption with zeal, with passion, with fervor. He calls us to sit, walk, stand, because in the first half of this book, we were, we're sitting in Christ. We learn to sit in Christ. He says it reveals our life in Christ, that we are one in him in the heavenly places. And then the second half, we learn how to live that life out here on earth. We are in him in the heavenly places, and then we bring him, we bring the heavenlies onto earth. When we are taught how to pray, it says, our kingdom come, or your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants to bring the heavens to earth, and we can experience the joy, the mystery, the love of heaven here on earth. When we sit in Christ, we taste and see who Jesus is. Every follower of Jesus must begin his spiritual life from the place of rest. When God created us, he created us from a place 
of rest. When we were brought into this world, Adam and Eve brought into this world, he rested. He, he st- where we start is where rest begins. We start in prayer. And then we learn to walk it out. To live in such a way that the thing God has done in us comes through us. By sitting in Christ, we learn how to walk it out. Watchman Nee talks about sitting, that all spiritual life begins with sitting. He says the strength of sitting. I love the phrase, the strength of sitting. Our position in Jesus in the heavenly realms. And if you guys can remember back when I started talking a little bit about the heavenly realms last week, the heavenly realms to the Ephesians would have been like the air, the place of rest for the angelic and the demonic beings, the, the culture at which they were living in, right? They, it was said to have been so demonic, the demonic presence was so heavy in that area that they couldn't even stick a pin through it. The heavenlies. This is the realm of, of the, the demonic, the angelic, the unseen, the rulers, the principalities and authorities that God is at war with in the spirit. And Jesus is seated in those heavenly places. It's language of authority. Jesus has authority over all these things. And he's seated there. He's the king of it. And we are seated in Christ. Wherever Jesus is seated, we're seated in him, and he is in us, and I'm actually in Christ, and Christ is in me. I'm not sure where Christ ends, and I begin. I'm not living for Christ. I'm living in Christ. The difference is massive. When I start living for Christ, I start talking about all the do's and the mores and the do-nots. I'm living in Christ. The difference is power and grace and love. It's not about the law. It's not about the legal parts of being a follower of Jesus. It's about the relationship. I am in Christ and he is in me. No matter what I do, he is in me and I am in him. I'm not just living this life for Christ somewhere who is up there in the heavenly, someplace disconnected from where, where he is. I'm actually in him, and he's in me. Wherever Christ is, I am in him, and he is in me. There's no separation of it any longer. We are a new humanity in Christ Jesus. The relationship is unbreakable. Eternal life isn't something that happens when we die or when Jesus comes back. Eternal life begins the moment I give my life to Christ. Now I live in him. He lives in me for all of eternity because I'm seated in him. Watchman Nee is saying we learn to sit in Christ, our position in Christ We recognize who we are in Christ, and from that place, from the sitting, then we learn to walk. Okay, it's not about doing something for Jesus. I want to talk about the walking. Okay, he says this: when we reverse the divine order, the result is always disaster, and that all true spiritual experience begins from rest, but doesn't 
end there. True rest always overflows into walking and standing. This morning I got to pray with Dorothy for a good 20 minutes in the prayer room. The prayer was about overflowing. That we would know Jesus so intimately. Here. Here first. In the waiting. In the sitting. That in the presence of God, He would overflow from us. That it gives us the strength to stand and to walk. From the overflowing of the presence we begin to walk. If we start to walk before we sit, have you guys ever seen a baby giraffe? I was at the zoo just on Friday. They had a little baby giraffe born five days ago. He couldn't walk, right? You guys, if you've had a baby or if you've been around babies, they don't learn how to walk when they come out of the womb. They've got to learn how to sit first. Then they crawl. Then they walk. I think a major problem in Western Christianity is that we try to walk before we sit and we fall on our faces over and over and over again because we don't have the strength yet. We're not coming from that place of of rest. We learn to sit in Christ because we're seated in Him and from that place we learn to walk it out. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says we learn to stand against the schemes of the enemy. We'll get to that one in a couple weeks. Paul's worship, writing from prison, is an invitation for followers of Jesus to know who they are in Christ and then how to live it out with others and how to stand against the schemes of the enemy in the demonic realm. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Welcome to church, everybody. Our sitting, our position in Christ, our walking, how we live it out is our warfare. He says this, Once we have well and truly been seated and found our strength in sitting down, we begin to walk out who we are and who He is on earth because now we bear the stamp of who God is. I think this is where the source of our frustration comes a lot of the times. We want the church to succeed. I am probably the worst offender of this. Oftentimes, I want to go and do and achieve everything that we can before I sit. And when I try to do things on my own strength, I fail. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 says, You've been forgiven. You're holy and blameless. In His sight, you've been accepted. You were chosen before the foundations of the world. Paul is searching for all the imagery he can find to describe to us who we are. We only understand this when we understand the secret and the strength of sitting. Some of us just haven't sat long enough in it. We want to do something for God, but the calling is walk worthy of the calling. And that's why I chose the ESV is because it says the calling is never, sorry, let me get there. When, I'm going the wrong way. Okay. With all, where am I at? The calling is never what you do for God. It's who you become in God. I forgot to add that slide. Okay. The calling is never what you do for God. It's who you become in God, in Christ. I'm seated in Christ. And Christ is in me. This is the hope of glory, right? Once I learn to sit, then I can walk. So this, this language of encounter, he gets into cha- verses 2. I'm not going to get through this whole chapter. I'm sorry. It's just 
way too much in there. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I think some of us are more passionate about seeing God transform the culture around us than we are about him permeating our own being, who we are. We need to sit in Christ first. The word that uh, he uses here is the word oxios. In Greek, it kind of looks like that, all those squiggly letters. That's oxios in Greek. The word is a word, it's a picture of these scales, of balance and becoming Okay. Worthy of the calling. Are you balancing out the scales? Are you balancing out the way that you are living your, your life with what he has called you to be? We see this type of, of uh, imagery presented to us throughout all of the Bible. Right? We have religion that says you're nothing. Right? And if you do this, you'll become something. Religion emphasizes the what we do and, and the, the don't do this and don't do that. And here's your Ten Commandments. Follow these. Jesus says, no, no, no. You are holy. You are accepted. You are forgiven. And Jesus begins with this and says, this is who you are. Now walk in who you are. That you would become who you are. Job 31.6 says this, Let my life be weighed on honest scales, for God will make known my integrity. Psalm 26.2 says, Put me on the scales, O Lord, that I may be tested. Let the fire make clean my thoughts in my heart. Psalm 62 says, Human beings are a mere vapor, while people in high positions are not what they appear when they are weighed when they are placed on the scales, they weigh nothing. God, I want to weigh something. I want my life to weigh who you are. I want to be placed on the scales and say that my life weighs something because of who I am. Not because I'm earning something in a religion, but because I'm seated in Christ. Proverbs 5.21 says, It's for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and God puts all his goings on the scales. Paul Young, William Paul Young says, may the way of my being match the truth of my being. May the way of my being match the truth of my being. May I actually be walking out what I am, who I truly am. In order to do that, you've got to understand who you are first and when you do then you start walking it out a, a way um, a good way to kind of look at this one of our best depictions of this is marriage right 15 years ago okay i stood before the most beautiful woman in the world and i said i do and it changed my life forever right when i said i do at the altar, nobody would argue that at that point I became husband. We were no longer fiancé or dating. 
We stood before man and stood before a pastor and, and the state recognized us and all the legal jargon and all that stuff defined us now as husband and wife. But when I became husband, there were still parts of single Jason lurking, right? My identity changed in that now I am husband of Haley, okay? It's defined. It's clear. There's no separating that at that point, right? And nobody's going to argue that I'm not husband at that point. But I still have to deal with some of the things of my singleness. I tried to deal with them all before we got married. <laughs> I failed. <laughs> I still had to learn how to live as a husband, how to love my wife, how to put her needs above my own, what it meant to go to work and provide and take on the responsibilities, all these things that I didn't have before. And as a single man, I didn't even think of them. But the more I walked with her and the more we developed as married people, right, the more of those single things got pushed aside. It's, I mean, you can continue on with this analogy for days and days. A lot of people never deal with the, the singleness that you came into the marriage with. And for a lot of people, unfortunately, that's the hard part that never gets dealt with. And it can lead to other unfortunate events. I've done counseling with certain people, and that, that tends to be one of the, the common factors in a, a lot of things that lead to the separation of marriages. Just, sometimes people don't learn how to let go of their singleness and walk fully in who they are. It's a we share in Jesus relationship with the Holy Spirit and the Father. It's something that I, I heard one preacher call the divine dance. Uh, we are brought in Christ. We are fully children of God, dealing with the parts that we had in our past. The sin nature doesn't go away. We still have to deal with our sins of our past. They can creep into your marriage. They'll creep into your life. But you are fully a son or daughter of Christ. Religion says we are living for God somewhere Someday, Jesus says, I've actually brought you into the divine dance, and now you are seated with Christ. The remainder of the chapter goes on to tell us God's response to the living out of this life, the walking in the reality of who we are as we sit in Christ. And as a result, Paul says, God gives each of us a gift and a specific response to his calling. I just want to read through it. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That he gave the, disciples, or the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes." 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each one of us, when we are adopted into the family of Christ and we are seated at the table with Christ, he gives us a generous gift to be acted out amongst the church, to be used amongst the church. You each have a purpose. We have a purpose. My purpose for this season is to pastor you, to teach you of these things. That's the gift that God has given me. I, I, do, I just want to clarify, when I'm preaching these messages, right, I've, I've learned I spend about 10 hours here. 10 hours here. And about two hours here. Walking and writing. And then about 30 minutes up here. When we sit in Christ, we learn how to walk in Christ so that we can stand against the schemes of the enemy. Let's pray. God, we sit. We sit in your presence. God, may my life weigh something. When I stand on the scales, God, may my life weigh something that says this is a contribution to the church and to the world around me because of who I am in you. Jesus, may we spend this time not seeking any, anything other than being in your presence. I have nothing to give, nothing to offer that is of myself. God, I pray that each one of us, as we sit in your presence, whether it be here, whether it be out in nature, at home, in our rooms, in our prayer closets, wherever it may be, that as we sit in your presence, you would look down from us from heaven and say, you are my beloved child. Speak to us by name. Call us by name, God. As you knit us together in our mother's womb and as you know the hairs on our heads, I pray that we would be intimately involved and encounter you in such a way that we fall more and more in love with you every single day. That our lives would not be about fulfilling some sort of set of rules or regulations or religion. God, but all of this would be birthed out of a relationship with you, time spent with you, conversations had with you, communion with you in the Spirit. And God, in our confidence, I pray that we would stand and walk, walk amongst our neighbors, walk amongst our, our co-workers and our friends and our family and confidently testify of who you are in our lives and stand, stand, God, when, when the enemy starts to, to penetrate or, or starts to attack, God, that we would have the confidence in who we are to stand against the enemy's schemes and say, in Jesus' name, we rebuke you In Jesus' name, we want to experience the peace 
that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name, we have the strength to fight off anything that comes against us. God, I pray that this mindset would change the way that we do discipleship, that we would invite others to sit at the table with us. And as we sit together and experience you, drink with you and eat with you and commune with you, that we would become more like you in all that we do. God, with this prayer on our hearts, we turn towards worship as we express through song our admiration and our dedication to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.